Hello, horror fam, best friends, and ghoulish nights, and welcome to the 38th episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror, American remakes of Japanese horror, folk horror, body horror, sci-fi horror, the horror-adjacent thrillers, the psychologically terrifying scary films in general. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films that we can gush about, everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers, thank you for the support. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you are so inclined. It all helps to get the word out and bring some much needed love to this little podcast audio listeners the show is also available on podcast services around the world like apple podcasts and spotify so don't forget to leave a rating when you stop by five stars is always appreciated but enough of all that housekeeping because today i have the privilege of welcoming for her murders with merton's debut my good friend kate matlin remmer kate how are you I'm doing great. It's so great to be here and yeah. to catch up with you. Oh, I know. It's been a hot minute. And, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, doing this for a while as well. I'm sorry that I probably sound like shit. I am a little bit under the weather at the moment, but uh, we're going to make this happen. Um, yeah, we, we, we got to be committed here. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to finally have you on. We've been friends for a very long time at this point, and uh, it's uh, the kind of thing where the movie we're about to talk about I couldn't think of anybody else that I would want to talk about this film with. Uh, we we definitely have uh, history with this film. And let's just get right out there that today's film is 2002's The Ring, directed by Gore Verbinski and written by Aaron Kruger. And of course, being based on the 1998 Japanese film Ring, uh, released as Ringu here in the States. Uh, not going to omit the amazing Hans Zimmer score as well, because that is a huge part of what makes this film good uh kate uh, you're one of the biggest ring fans that i know uh why the ring i love the ring because it's such a poetic movie um i think just start to finish right the music the colors the sound editing um the fact that the the film within the film is so poetic and artistic um I think so much attention to detail was paid in this movie. And even though it was a commercial horror film, um, it's just such a pretty film. Oh so. yeah. Yeah. It's an absolute pleasure to look at. The color grading is super cool. You know, you get that sort of blue, green, gray tone throughout yeah. this whole movie, you know, it's very cohesive with that. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's just so just picturesque, you know, between the Japanese maple and the shots of the water flowing around the stones and, you know, not to mention the, uh, the, the video that's in the film itself that looks like, you know, like a Mark Romantic nine inch nails video. Um, just, ah, there's so much good in this. And, you know, it's part of that big J horror remake boom of, you know, the aughts, um, and probably one of the best, if not the best of out of, out of all of those, you know, there's, there's some stinkers in there and you know, nobody needed to remake the grudge, not a fan of that remake. Um, pulse also not so good of a remake. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, e- e- there were so many good J horror films, you know, in that era to begin with, I've covered uh, audition on this show, uh, early on. Oh, that one's a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. We were uh, talking before we started recording about, uh, one of those after dark horror fest films, uh, reincarnation. reincarnation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just started thinking about that as I was uh, rewatching this and rewatching uh, Ringu uh, earlier in the week. And it's so funny that that popped into both of our heads because I remember we we had that subscription to uh, Blockbuster, uh, the um, uh, disc version of that, similar to old school Netflix. And we, we used to get those um, after dark films all the time. We tore through those back in the day. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because reincarnation is the one that stands out in my mind that I remember very yeah. clearly. Yeah, it's. I was just looking up where you can get that. Uh, it's not streaming for free anywhere, but to buy it on, uh, like, I think on Amazon, it's only about six fifty or something like that. I'm so tempted. Really? Yeah. I honestly think I still have the DVD from Blockbuster <laughs> in the case. Okay. Okay. Oh, you know, it might have been on one of those uh, sales where they were selling all their exactly. previously viewed ones. That's yeah. neat. That's neat. Yeah, I just, uh, that's one where I would love to rewatch that again sometime soon. So I might make that happen. Okay. Well, yeah, well, that might work too. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. But yeah, there were a lot of fun films out of this time period. Um, this is one of those where when you think about the conceit of the film, when you think about the time period that it came from, you know, VHS was kind of on its way out at that point already. Yeah. And, uh, you know, disc-based uh, home media was definitely already a big thing. And, you know, you had early flip phones in this, like, uh, I, I can't remember, was it Motorola that made the StarTac? Yeah. Um, but I remember that being a very specific early flip phone, and that was featured kind of prominently in this. And just answering machines and everything else in this film that feels so dated, and yet the movie continues to look just incredible. Um, It definitely stands the test of time. And if anything, it takes people like us back, you know, yeah, it's a very nostalgic feeling for people who grew up at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's yeah. It's funny because uh, people talk about horror films and how in this modern age, they just don't seem like they should work because of a lot of the trappings of modern life Mm -hmm. and, you know, how you really have to, you know, figure out situations that are so different than, uh, you know, the settings of older horror films to make them work. But, uh, I I don't know. This one just continues to work just fine. Uh, love it. But, uh, yeah, why don't we, uh, kind of kick things off here. Um, we start off with this treatment of the DreamWorks logo that's super cool in that it's all glitched out like, uh, like you know, like, know. yeah, like a, like a VHS tape playing on an old CRT TV. Um, and we're introduced to two teenagers, Katie and Becca. Uh, Katie, of course, played by Amber Tamblin, daughter of. Tamblin from West Side Story. Yes. And Twin Peaks. Uh, uh-huh. Dr. Jacoby, lest we forget. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're just kind of hanging out on this rainy night, kind of bored out of their minds and, uh, they're not able to really find anything to watch on TV. And Katie starts sort of rambling about all the radio waves flying around and what that's doing to us. And, uh, that kind of decides to one up her, um, and start talking about this videotape that kills you when you watch it. Yeah. Have you heard of this? 
And it's right off the jump. It's not even two minutes into the film. And we're already talking about what this movie is all about. Uh, I appreciate that they get going right away. Um, and she's looking a little concerned, uh, Katie. Uh, she's like, and she asks, what kind of tape? And it's like you're watching someone else's nightmare. And as soon as it's over, the phone rings and someone knows you've watched it and you will die in seven days. Um, yeah. Katie starts freaking out a little bit, asking where Becca heard about it and then admits that she's watched it. And, uh, yeah, Becca's like bullshit. Right. Um, you know, Katie explains that she went away with her boyfriend and his friends prior weekend. And of course, Becca doesn't care about anything that they're talking about other than the fact that she went away with her boyfriend for the weekend. She thought that she was at home. Um, but yeah, Katie, uh, keeps going talking about how they were trying to record a football game and they got, well, something else. Uh, and then the phone rang after they watched it. Uh, then of course, uh, Katie starts gagging. Becca starts freaking out. And then of course, Katie reveals, yeah, she's, she's pulling one over on her and mm -hmm. they, they kind of fight a little bit, you know, laughing, but then the phone starts ringing and yeah, well, the look on Katie's face, um, you can tell that what she's talking about is indeed real at this point. Um, yeah, I think they, it's such a good job of getting us a little freaked out early on that, you know, this isn't just like a chain letter type of thing. This isn't just an urban legend. No, no, she's very concerned. So they slowly make their way downstairs and Becca just kind of not buying it. And she's like, Oh fuck this. And she just picks up the phone and she looks super concerned. Slowly passes the phone to Katie takes a beat before asking hello and it's her mom and she's all pissed at becca who walks away you know saying hey ask your mom where she keeps her vicodin and um you know like teenagers do and uh yeah uh she kind of works her way through this exasperated phone call with her mother i'm not sure where becca walked off to at this point because we don't see her again until know. yeah until much later in this film but, uh, yeah, eventually this exasperated Katie gets off the phone with her mom and that's when the TV in the family room pops on the static and she kind of nervously looks around and slowly approaches, grabs the remote, you know, tells Becca, you know, it's not funny, you know, stop screwing around. She turns it off, turns her back on the TV. And of course that's when it pops on again this is very effective i like this quite a bit um ultimately um she drops down on her knees in front of the tv staring at the static i love the way that the shot is composed uh because it's so much of the curve of the crt in the frame in front of her face uh -huh. um it's just very cool um yeah um and she's staring at this thing and eventually she just grabs the, the, the plug and pulls it out of the wall. And, you know, of course it's one of those old homes with crappy wiring and it sparks like crazy. And, um, she kind of rises back up and stares at the reflection and the dark screen. 
and this is where you see this presence behind her uh just kind of shift and fly away and it's not you know clear what it is i think in uh the japanese version i think you end up seeing you see an image yeah you see somebody there Mm -hmm. but i kind of like the way how they handle that in this i think um as effective as the original film is and i love it and i love the cast um and the performances and everything but there's some little bits that just are a little rough that are Mm -hmm. just a little bit more polished in this one you know, I'm, I'm not at all trying to shit on the original film, but uh, it's one of the things that makes this such a fun, effective remake. Um, I agree. It leaves, I think the American film leaves a little more to the imagination um, as it goes along. It sort of builds up and lets you imagine what it could be, and then it delivers, right? So, yeah. Yep, agreed. Um, so, yes, uh, she turns around again. I think she might call it to Becca again at some point. Um, we get the little fake out with the fridge door swinging open. She rushes up and closes it and she kind of hears something in the distance and she ends up running up those stairs. And I feel like this just feels a bit like an homage to the original, uh, a nightmare on Elm street with those stairs, just the way the shots composed. But, um, and we get the little callback of the stairs later at the, at the wake, but, uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, she goes up those stairs in a big hurry, but when she hits the upper floor, she slows down really quick because, uh, we see water pooling out from under her bedroom door. Mm-hmm. Um, she walks very slowly up to it. It's one of those old school glass, uh, doorknobs and water is dripping off of it. Um, and you get that kind of like musical cues soundscape from the video that we don't know is from the video at this point playing like a, like a bird kind of squawking or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very kind of ethereal. Um, and she just, uh, yeah, keeps approaching, uh, sort of steps into the water and opens up the door and we see immediately on the TV screen in her bedroom an image of the well and then the perspective shot of some force rushing up into her face. And that's it. You know, we're, um, she's done so. Uh, cut to static, right? Um, and also cut to a little boy drawing in an empty classroom with a probably a black crayon. Uh, we, uh, we get some very aggressive footsteps and a one-sided argument approaching. Um, you can only hear a little bit of the argument, but, uh, there's a call back to what's being said a little bit later when we meet the person from the other end. Um, the actor that plays Aiden, the little boy went to UCLA at 13 and then Harvard law at 18. I did not know that. Yeah. He's an attorney that, um, I think he's got some position in the house of representatives now. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's in the background in the Brett Kavanaugh hearing. Oh, I'll have to check. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, he definitely left acting behind in the late aughts, but, uh, 
Yeah. Very talented uh, when he was an actor. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. Can you imagine going to Harvard Law at 18? Oh, that's, that's oh, that's very, I mean, clearly this kid's a prodigy. Um, and just beyond his years in this role, I don't know what age he's supposed to be, but dang. Um, so yes, uh, Rachel, uh, Naomi Watts, she bursts into this classroom cursing and of course immediately apologizes. Um, Aiden just gets up and tells her he'll wait in the car. I think he clearly knows that his teacher wants to speak with her. Uh, he was hanging out because of course the girl from earlier in the film, Katie, that's his cousin, Rachel's niece. She was basically his after school childcare. And, uh, yeah, Rachel's still figuring that out because she's a single mom and this is kind of rough at the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the teacher wants to take a moment and speak to her. Um, and yeah. Uh, they talk about the niece's death and how, you know, she's trying to find a replacement. The teacher's not super concerned about that. You know, take your time, she says. But ultimately, what she is concerned about is Aiden and how, you know, he may be trying to reach out about this. They talk about how he's kind of a quiet kid, how, you know, he's not the kind of person who necessarily would. And then the teacher's like, but he may be reaching out in other ways. And she says she's really concerned about what he's been drawing. And she shows these, you know, Crayola drawings to uh, Rachel and yeah, they're a little disturbing. They're a little dark. It's images of his dead cousin, you know, and, and she's like, well, this is just him processing what happened. This is just him working it out. And the teacher's like, yeah, but he drew these last week. <laughs> um, yeah, yes, that's, that's a little spooky. Um, so then from there we're driving home in the rain and Rachel's just kind of staring at him in the rear view and he gives her this what um yeah and if we didn't mention this is set in Seattle uh, uh -huh. and the rain is a huge huge fixture in this film uh -huh. always a fan of sympathetic weather that's for sure but uh agreed agreed yeah, yeah it's just the shots of the rain on windshields and windows and so on throughout this film is just gorgeous. Just one more beautiful, beautiful bit of this film. Um, she tucks him in that night. Um, he makes this comment about not having enough time. And she thinks that it has more to do with, you know, her and work and, you know, how she's been busy lately. And he's like, no, we don't have enough time before we die. And, ooh, this is an uncomfortable conversation here. Um, and he brings up that Katie knew how much time she had left. She told him that he was going to die or that she was going to die. And Rachel's just kind of floored. And he just rolls over and he says, good night, Rachel. <laughs> Little shit. <laughs> <laughs> he, he makes all these little comments like that that just just knock people off of their you know their pedestals there in these moments where they feel that they're you know somewhat superior like this conversation he has down the road with noah who we have yet to meet but um yeah yeah this kid's something yeah. uh <laughs> cut to the next day and they're getting ready for katie's funeral and I love that this is just like Ringu and that, you know, he had he, her outfit prepped 
Yep. Yep. And you know, he's there putting his tie on and everything. And I, I love how this kid is clearly in early grade school and he can tie his own tie and everything. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Maybe it's a clip on who knows, but I, I choose to believe that he knows how to tie his own tie. Um, but yeah, yeah. Nice call back to the original film there. And, uh, yeah, uh, they go and they take off and, uh, we cut to, uh, the wake at, uh, Rachel's sister's house uh-huh. and, um, Rachel goes and comforts her sister and brother-in-law and, uh, uh, the sister is Ruth. The brother-in-law is Dave. Dave is clearly still in shock. She's like, you know, how are you holding up? And he's like, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> he says, you know, he's just out of it. Uh, and then we're in the kitchen and, uh, clearly Ruth is the stronger of the pair. And she's like, he just sleeps all day and, you know, he's not built for this. And, and then she talks about how, you know, she's been talking to doctors like crazy and it just makes no sense that this girl, you know, just dropped dead like this, her heart stopped. Uh-huh. Um, it, she's just at a loss. Right. And it's revealed that, uh, that uh basically Rachel is an investigative journalist and uh she just really wants Rachel to see what she can dig up about all of this who right. you know Ra- Rachel doesn't really want to but she's just sort of begging her and uh-huh. uh I think, I think this conversation was interesting too because when she's taught when they're talking together this is the first time you get to see the face of Amber Tamlin's character after she was killed. Oh yeah. Um, that would have been a closed casket funeral. That's for sure. Um, and that, you know, because you didn't really get to see that when she was killed at the beginning of the film and that it's pretty, it, it just stinks your heart. Cause it's so terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's pretty intense. And they've got that little, you know, musical stinger or whatever, when they show the face. And it's one of those where the head of the corpse just kind of drops and, Oh, it's good. But, uh, yes. Um, Rachel kind of heads outside to join the smokers, which are, uh, Katie's teenage friends. Um, yes, to smoke herself, but also because she's like, okay, let's see what I can dig up just from them. And, um, they're discussing Becca who had been admitted to a mental hospital over her reaction to finding Katie, Um, and you know, they, they don't want anything to do with Rachel who of course just kind of warms her way into the conversation. And when they try to blow her off, uh, she just, you know, plays it off as them accepting her as part of the conversation, the whole thing with grabbing the one girl's cigarette to light her own and so on. It's, it's, it's a fun touch. Uh, you can tell she is in no way a pushover. Um, and yeah, one of the friends, uh, Adam Brody, in a tiny little role here, he uh, brings up the tape and uh, the dead boyfriend, Josh. And, well, apparently this was a secret boyfriend, uh, we learn. But, uh, yeah, um, how everybody basically died at the same time. Uh, meanwhile, we've got Aiden heading up to Katie's room. This is where we get the call back of the stairs as he goes up and you see uh, her running up the stairs, that little flash. Um and he walks up to her room and we get that shot of the water damaged hardwood outside the door. 
and he stands in front of her TV in the dark, like a little creep that he is. And we get the little flash of the presence behind him in the reflection. Again, he turns around and of course there's nothing there. And he goes back to just staring at the TV. That's where his mom steps in and flips on the light. And it's like, I think, this is, I think this is an interesting, uh, part two, um, in addition to the drawings, because, um, it's, it's kind of a little unspoken, but you know, in, in the Japanese movie and in the book, um, it was clear that the child had psychic abilities and it's a little <laughs> bit unspoken in the American film, but he hasn't watched the video yet at this point. So he's like having these Im these visions and seeing an apparition behind him and he has no exposure to the film yet, right? So clearly right. he has special abilities um, that other people don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, in the, the Japanese version, uh, also his, uh, father, uh, played by Hiroki, uh, Sonata, uh, also. you know, he's got this psychic, uh, exactly. ability as well. Um, which, uh, yeah, they, I, I appreciate that they didn't use that for, uh, Noah in this film, but, uh, you know, it, it, again, it implied it festers under the surface a little bit. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Mom pops in. It's like, you shouldn't be up here, you know, in uh, Katie's room. And he's like, yeah, it's not a room anymore. Dark kid. That is dark. Um, but also again, wise beyond his years. Uh -huh. Um, and he steps out and she starts looking around. Um, and yeah, he, she's poking through this folder where she's got all these clippings from magazines and she's like scribbled over all the faces. And of course we realize later that it isn't just scribbles. It's uh, something else, but uh, she sees all this. It's a little disturbing and she finds, uh, again, a little bit of what feels like an anachronism or not an anachronism, but something that's just old at this point that really has no place in today's age. She finds a ticket for a photo uh, lab um, because okay. who develops photos anymore? <laughs> it's all on your phone. Um, that was but, so fun though when you were, when you were younger oh, yeah. and you got yeah. to wait, you like, you were so excited to well, get you your never knew back. what you were going to get. Exactly. Right. It was always such a gamble. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. She, um, gets that ticket stub and, uh, we cut to the next day where she goes to the lab, she picks up the photos and it's like your typical photos of kids fucking around on a weekend away mm -hmm. until you get to the photos where their faces are all distorted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but the photos do ultimately lead her to shelter mountain, uh, which is where they were staying. Um, she does a minor amount of digging at this point, uh, through some uh, newspapers. And she does discover that all these kids had died at the same time around 10 PM that Wednesday. And, um, uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we cut to her at, uh, work where she's on the phone with the medical examiner, uh, uh, trying to find out about the time of death, uh, for her niece. And we get her editor walking up and, uh, he's the punctilious prick that she was, uh, talking to on the phone earlier in the film. And he's like, you're fired. And she's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, yes, you are. No, I'm not. You know, cause she's got too good of a story that she's working on. She's the one with all the power in this relationship and it's awesome. And I love how, when, uh, the, the, uh, medical examiner gets back on the phone, how she just kind of shoes him away and he just, he leaves 
with this goofy look on his face, like he's, you know, just been told off by a mom or whatever. Um, love it. I, I wish this guy would come back at some point in the film, but this is all we get of him. Um, and yeah, we, uh, cut to the next day from here where she's driving off to shelter mountain to investigate further. Uh, she gets to the office and, you know, you get this desk clerk who's probably every single person that walks in there, he's trying to do this card trick with. And, um, uh -huh. you know, he's like, pick a card, any card, and, you know, the typical card trick thing. And, um, he keeps getting it wrong. And, uh, she asks about, you know, some kids have stayed there recently. It's her niece and she's, you know, trying to figure out where she ran off to or whatever she says. And uh, he's like, Oh yeah. Uh, they ran off without paying. They had a ton of complaints, mostly about the TV, how they couldn't get any reception, but that's kind of the norm up there. That's why they have uh, VCRs and all the cabins. Um, and they look over and there's all these, uh, janky old, uh, videotapes there. I really ought to pause that, uh, screen sometime just to see what they have in their collection because, you know, most of them are real films, but, um, but she definitely notices just this blank videotape sitting there. And of course she gets curious. So she mentions, you know what? I'm kind of tired. I'm going to take a nap. You know, I'll take cabin 12. She hands him the American Express and he goes to run the card while he does that. Uh, she ends up snatching the tape and, uh, and she heads off to cabin 12. Right. Um, and immediately she gets into this cabin. Well, of course, after we see the Japanese maple for the first time, uh -huh. um, God, what a beautiful tree. Um, and, uh, she just cues that tape right up and we see on the VCR, which of course, for whatever reason is not flashing 12, like it probably would be. Um, that's a little bit after five at that point. And yeah, she pops in the tape. And like I said before, we get this kind of Mark Romantic style, nine inch video, uh, nine inch nail video, um, with all these disturbing images, you know, we get, uh, the chair spinning around all the fingers wiggling around in the box. Uh, we get, uh, on the beach. all, yeah, all the like fun stuff. Yeah. And you, you hear the little snippet of, uh, Samara's, uh, song that she sings. Um, and you know, the video ends with a shot of the well and then static. And then of course the phone rings and she slowly picks it up and we hear the iconic seven days and she runs outside into the rain and, uh, looks around like somebody was going to be standing there or something. And we, we just, Cut to Thursday, day one. And uh, we've got Aiden packing his own lunch and heading off to school. And meanwhile, she's just sitting on her bed looking through photos and stuff and clearly freaking the fuck out about things. Um, Aiden uh, outside in the pouring rain encounters Noah in the shot that, you know, perfectly mirrors the one from Ringu. Um, love it and the the look that they share with each other um wow um because aiden's just staring daggers at noah and noah has this i don't know kind of almost shameful look on his face mm -hmm. it's um you know it, at this point it's not exactly clear although it's heavily implied what's uh going on there it's it's not till over halfway in the film that we learn a little bit more but uh but yeah, uh, 
they part ways and uh, we cut to inside where Rachel is showing Noah, who's like this photographer slash videographer, uh, Katie's photo and um, how their faces are all distorted. And then she asks him to take a picture of her with this digital camera, which he does um, after he finally prods her to even look up. She's like so freaked out about the situation. She can't even do that. And of course the photo ends up all distorted and she's like, yeah, go ahead and scroll through them. And all these selfies she had taken uh, are also crazy distorted. And he's like, is this the same camera that was used? Like, nope. And yeah, she explains about the tape and all of that. Um, and then um, he's going to watch it, but she starts to reconsider showing him the tape. Uh, Ultimately, he does wear her down enough to let him watch it, and he pops it on, and she ends up stepping outside because she just can't be there for it. And while she's waiting, she's, again, a scene that kind of mirrors the original. She's looking around at her neighbors uh, across uh, the street there, and they're all doing their little mundane daily life things and uh you know ultimately this lady who had stepped out on a balcony for a cigarette they kind of lock eyes for a second but that's right when he finishes up and steps back outside and he's playing it off like it's no big deal uh what is it that he says uh, it's something along lines of like oh that was very student film it's very dismissive of what he had to see because of course he's got to be the cool guy right, right. he's got to be you know big tough guy cool guy and um yeah, he plays it off as being very amateurish. And of course, the phone starts ringing at this point. Uh -huh. And they don't pick up because they're continuing to talk. And she um, you know, does finally convince him to, at the very least, help her find the tape's origin. And uh, he asks her to, yeah, go ahead and make a copy and I'll see what I can you know, dig up. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, uh, she steps back in and she finds that there's a message waiting on the machine. And again, the whole thing of landline and answering machine, because that just doesn't exist any longer, at least for a large portion of us. Um, and you see her finger hover over the play button and just hesitate for a minute. And then she just deletes the message because uh, we all know what was on that message. Um, and then she just goes off to work, probably where she uh, makes a copy. And you notice on all the equipment that there's like something screwed up with the time code. The video is just messing with things. Mm -hmm. And then we move on to Friday, day two, where uh, she stops by Noah's loft with the copy. He explains that, yeah, the tape shouldn't exist because there's no control track. And she's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about here. And he's like, well, whatever made the tape would have put numbers on it that basically are like a digital signature, almost like a fingerprint. And without that, this should not exist. Um, and at that point, they're like screwing around with some of his equipment, uh, trying to adjust the tracking because there's something that they kind of can see off the edge of uh, the screen, but not quite. And it's at this point where you can see them getting a little bit closer. Clearly, there was a relationship there before. Uh -huh. And clearly, um, you know, there was a little bit of... Uh, you know, like a little overbearance about some things because she is kind of pushing his boundaries there in right. a way that probably happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And of course, 
uh, there's a little flare up there and they look at each other with this knowing look. And that's when his assistant, uh, steps into, uh, the loft and, uh, Rachel, I think she's a little upset here, uh, just a smidge because again, she thought that, yeah, maybe just maybe they could have like something of a normal relationship with each other, but he's back to his old ways there. And, uh, they kind of argue a little bit. And after, of course, Rachel storms off with the copy because she doesn't want the assistant to see it. And he's like, well, you let me see it. But, um, yeah, she's going to go do her own thing. And as far as she concerned, she's concerned, you know, he can just fuck off. So they part ways. Uh Um, and yeah, uh, as she steps out of his building, absentmindedly, she walks under a ladder, turns around and sees that it's just like the ladder in the video. And then some painter steps by and he's like, yo, careful, you know, you don't need that bad luck. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, we're already on to day three at this point. It's Saturday. Uh, we have Rachel going to visit Becca in the hospital. Becca is like terrified of seeing television screens because they have this rolling screen so that she doesn't have to look at it as she passes by, uh, the common room there in the hospital. And, uh, yeah, we go to, you know, a little side room where, um, where they can talk and she's pretty silent, probably heavily medicated as well. Um, she sure looks like it. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Rachel is just trying every tack she possibly can to get something out of her, but doesn't get anything until Becca finally says that Rachel, um, tells Rachel rather that she will show her in four days. And she tells her by turning her hand over and folding her thumb in and then saying in four days, uh, which is a fun little touch. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, we sure didn't get a lot out of back there, <laughs> but yes, she is freaked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here from there. We cut to Rachel using some really heavy equipment. I don't know if this is at her job. I'm assuming it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it's either that, or it's like the local TV station or something like that. Uh But, uh, yeah, very heavy equipment to work with this videotape and there's this semi abrasive, um, person showing her. Yeah. Yeah. Showing her how to use everything. And of course, Rachel's not really the friendliest either, but it basically tells this lady to fuck off. I need to see this alone. And she doesn't want anyone else dying either. Well, yeah, yeah. She's at least that considerate, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, she could have at least said, yeah, this is something I'm investigating and it's, uh, some pretty, uh, not okay stuff on this film or something like that. There, there's ways of playing this off without being an asshole about it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this lady's like, whatever. And, uh, bugs out and she starts using the equipment to, uh, mess with the tracking and stretch to the edge of the film. Um, and ultimately, um, well, first she prints out a picture of the woman that you can see brushing her hair or combing her hair rather, uh, in this mirror. And, um, And then working with the tracking, she's able to just barely see this lighthouse at the edge. And she quickly hits the print button on this thing and everything winks out. 
-hmm. She calls for help on the microphone. And when everything comes back on, she ends up getting to the screen uh, that you had seen before when uh, she and Noah were playing with the video of this fly. Mm -hmm. And this time around, the fly is on the outside of the screen. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, when the girl comes back in and interrupts her. And wow, Rachel's got a massive nosebleed. That looks thick. It um, does. I will say, too, I don't, I don't know if this is something you picked up on, but even before the fly... It looked like the video was interactive. So like when mm -hmm. she pans over to the lighthouse, it looks like the lighthouse is spinning. Like it gets, it's really bright and then it gets dimmer, like the light coming around and like oh, yeah. focusing somewhere else. So it, it looks like it looks interactive, I guess. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of this video that seems like almost more of it comes out. The more the investigation goes along. Exactly. Uh, it, it's like a living, kind of like, breathing video. Yeah. It, it changes in some ways. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and from there we cut to day four Sunday, uh, Rachel's at the library researching lighthouses and trying to match up the one from, uh, the video and mm -hmm. man, she, she hits pay dirt just about you know half a dozen pages into flipping through this book i feel bad for the poor librarian that uh helped her gather all these books but uh yeah it's no not at all um apparently it's uh what is it moscow island uh and you know she goes from there back to work where she's uh just googling some stuff and uh she ends up finding some very, very poorly photoshopped images of uh, this uh, group of women. <laughs> and uh, we've got Anna Morgan, uh, the woman from the video. And she starts learning about the sad, sad history of the island and the Morgans, about all these drowned horses that essentially committed suicide and Anna Morgan's suicide um, herself. And, uh, you know, Rachel finds herself as she's, Looking through all these things, she's absentmindedly scribbling over Anna's photo, just like Katie had done. And we move on from here to uh, Monday, day five. Uh, we're just, we're not even halfway through the film, but we're clipping through these days very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the morning of day five. Noah's at a you know bodega or whatever, getting cigarettes. And the clerk just says to him, you're going to die. <laughs> It's just unsettling the tone and the fact that she's just dead eyed staring at him saying this. Um, he's like, excuse me. And she goes into the story about her cousin or whatever, getting on the patch and, uh, you know, quitting smoking ultimately. Um, and you know, he pays for his stuff, but happens to look up at the, uh, the TV in the upper corner of the shop that shows the security camera footage and his face is all distorted uh -huh. and he gets a little freaked out and, uh, bugs out of there. Uh, move on to Rachel, uh, returning home and scaring the shit out of the babysitter. Um, and from there, uh, the conversation is basically just how adult that uh, Aiden ultimately is how, you know, she goes to tuck him in. He's already under the covers. She wanted to read him a bedtime story. He read her a bedtime story. He's learning very adult words like conundrum. Right. Um, 
So she pays her, she takes off, uh, cut to Rachel on the phone with her sister. She's trying to arrange for her to watch Noah or, uh, Aiden for a couple of days while she goes off and investigates some things. And immediately, um, she starts, uh, Rachel starts gagging to death on some water and coughs up like an EKG electrode that's wire is wrapped in human hair. Mm-hmm. This was such a striking scene, like un- totally unexpected and terrifying and disgusting. Yep. And uh, you, you can hear uh, her sister Ruth calling out to her. Uh, of course, when she finishes gagging this thing up, uh, you look at the phone and there's water pouring out of the earpiece. Um, then, you know, she's calling out to Aiden and walking through the hall and she opens what is probably supposed to be his door only to find uh, the little girl sitting with her back to her in this chair that's just in this pool of water. and. As she walks up to her, of course, this, uh, you know, decayed hand reaches up and grabs her arm and she sees this vision of a hospital with all sorts of, you know, wires and cables and other stuff. And it's basically Rachel in the role of the little girl in this vision and she snaps awake from there. So my question to you now is... How much of the phone call with her sister where she was coughing up the electrode, uh, was that a dream or was she actually coughing this thing up? That's a great question. I don't think the movie wants you. I I don't think, I I think that's left to the imagination of the viewer, right? Yeah. That's kind of perfect in that regard. It's, uh, yeah. I I love when films do that where there is no clear answer. It's you're supposed to draw your own conclusions with that. Uh, that's a very David Lynch thing to do. He loves doing that. He loves not spelling out, uh, you know, the actual, uh, plot, you know, shout out to Naomi Watts and one of, uh, my favorite films of his Mulholland drive came out like a year or two before this film. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, she had a good run right around then. He um, did. but, but yeah, um, I, I think that it very possibly could have all been a dream. Um, but uh, yeah, again, open to interpretation. Um, yeah, I think this film too, you know, in a variety of different ways, uh, like plays with the like mental or like the imagination versus the physical and how those two intersect or cross over. Um, so I, I, to me, it just spoke to that, right? I mean, you see things in, down later in the movie, which I'm sure you'll get to um, oh, yeah. that sort of, you know, talks about like the physical versus, uh, the imagination. So, yeah, it's so much of this film is very dreamlike. It's, um, love that. Uh, (laughs) it's one of my favorite tropes. Uh, but yeah, um, she had snapped awake then, um, and she can hear the video, um, with that sort of screeching ethereal, music or soundscape or whatever. And she sees the light playing from underneath these pocket doors and she slides those open. And of course there's her son, Aiden sitting in front of the TV and it's the very end of the video with the well, but this time it is ever so slightly altered and that 
you start seeing the hair coming up over knee, over the lip of the well. Yeah. And then it cuts to static, of course, and she screams no and grabs him and covers his eyes. Of course, just like the original film. Um, and uh, very similarly, she's like, why were you watching this? And he's like, I couldn't sleep. And uh, yeah, uh, she, as all of this happens, she also stabs at the VCR and grabs the tape and throws it back. And it kind of slides its way under the couch. And you can see that this is the copy uh, because mm-hmm. there is, of course, a big label on it because, of course, she was trying to keep the two apart. And she put this, uh, you know, this copy label on the one so she'd have the original and so on and so forth. Don't want to get it mixed up. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I forget what exactly he says. Oh, also, when she snapped awake from this dream, she's got the sort of. Yeah, it's it's not quite a burn and not quite a bruise. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, and uh, oh, I, I I know what he is saying. He's like, "Who is she, Rachel?" And I love that he calls her Rachel. Um, never calls her mom. So no, he does. He writes it oh. on the drawing. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And I think he does call her uh, mom towards the very end of the film. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah. Um, And of course the phone rings after he asks and she picks it up and slams it back down. And then it rings right again after that. And she screams, leave him alone, but it's actually Noah this time. Uh And, uh, this is where we finally get the confirmation that Noah is indeed Aiden's father. Uh, Uh because, um, she tells him, you know, our son watched the tape uh-huh. And oof, and this is where he admits to her that he believes her as far as what's going on. And you see uh, him in his car. He's on his cell. He's got all these photos that he's taken of himself, and they're all horribly distorted. Yeah. Going back to the uh, hand marks on yeah. her arm, too. I mean, you see a lot of imagery in this movie of, like, burning thoughts into the physical yes. uh, right we we don't really know what the tape is yet i think it's you know it starts becoming more implied like you know you did it it clearly was not recorded because there's not the timestamp. so what right. was it um and then you see like her dream like the dream of samara the child getting burned onto her skin and like there's just more and more examples of that as the film goes on yep Yep. It's, uh, oof. And very, very, um, interesting ways in which, uh, Samara is manifesting her thoughts in the real world. Exactly. Uh, and we're, we're going to get to those cause they are varied. Um, but yes, we cut to now Tuesday, day six, and we've got Noah and Aiden alone in his car. They're in, uh, Ruth's driveway. And they've got this tense gunslinger style standoff of a conversation between the two of them, don't they? Um, It's something of a heart to heart, but not um, because. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Noah's like, you know, would you like me to be around more? And Aiden's like, no. Do you want to be around more? wow twist that knife kid just twist that knife um and you know 
Noah's like, well, yeah, the thing is, I don't think I'd be a good father. It's mostly because of my own father and my hangups with how he wasn't around and so on and so forth. But the thing is, I don't want anybody else to be your father. And Aiden's like, it's a conundrum. It's, it's so good. It's so good. Um, we cut to the house where uh, Rachel's up in Katie's bedroom again, digging through her stuff, seeing what else she can find. And she digs a little bit further into this notebook and she sees all these drawings that Katie had made of the images from the video that are just in her head all the time. And it even says, why is this in my head? Uh, in case you didn't understand. Um, but yeah, uh, basically she's there to drop off at Aiden, but also to do just a little bit more research. Um, and then we get Noah and Rachel driving off to Moscow Island and we get a hell of a lot of voiceover, uh, as they drive, because apparently they didn't shoot the conversation inside the car or something like that. I, I don't know. Um, but I don't care because we get the awesome, awesome score playing as they drive. Basically, anytime there's establishing shots or, you know, shots of people driving a lawn. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, beautiful, it's, it's like string instruments playing. Oh, yeah. So you get all of that. And um, yeah, yeah, the the almost music box like uh, portion of the score as well. Um, yeah. It's, it's fun. Uh, but in the voiceover, we learned that Anna Morgan, she just had this perfect life. You know, she was, uh, uh, she and her husband were horse breeders and, you know, she just kind of rode horses and lived her best life. And then all of a sudden her life took this big left turn. She ended up in a mental hospital and next thing you know, she committed suicide. Um, so Rachel's going to go to the Island to investigate there while Noah goes to the hospital. She was in to see what he can dig up and he tries to, you know, get her to have him come along, but she's like, no, I need you to figure this stuff out. We we're running out of time. We can't be two places, you know, well, if we're together. So, uh, you do this, I'll do that. And, uh, she goes to get on the ferry and we see the, um, the truck with the, uh, the horse carrier behind it. Uh, you, uh, and, uh, right before she gets on in the pouring rain, he hops out of the car and he passes off the drawing that, uh, Aiden had made for her, uh, before she left. And, uh, yes, yes. It says mom right on the outside and it's getting absolutely wrecked in that pouring rain, but we don't care because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very sweet. Yes. Um, so they part ways and while on the ship, uh, Rachel realizes that Anna Morgan had a daughter as she's reading through some of these news clippings mm -hmm. and you know, you, you see it on the page, but also you hear her say she had a daughter. Um, it's okay. Little cheese ball there, but, uh, you know, just in case, uh, you, uh, didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we're picking up what they're laying down. Uh, and then we get the horse bit. So sad. Mm, yes. Okay. So sort of lost in thought as she's on this lawn ferry ride, uh, Rachel walks through the garage area of the uh, ship and she comes across the horse carrier and she starts talking to the horse and reaching out to it, which is so stupid. I don't know why you would do this. Um, but the horse reacts very negatively to her. 
And yet because she still kept trying. <laughs> oh, I know. She's trying to calm the poor thing down and it's freaking out. It's kicking the walls of the carrier and ooh, just like punching out dents <laughs> and everything else. And finally it breaks free. And you see one of the ferry attendants like, oh crap. And this horse is racing all over this place, uh, you know, running over cars and smashing windshields and stuff. And you see the people uh, to whom the horse belongs and they're freaking out. And ultimately the horse charges Rachel, who's uh, at the bow at the front rail there. And she ducks down and the horse leaps over her, but catches one of its uh, hind legs on the rail and hits several more bits of the ship as it goes down. And is this where we get the my horse? It's <laughs> because the horse, of course, gets sucked under the ship as it's just screaming in this way that only horses can when oof, it's rough and everybody yeah everybody gathers at the stern and they're looking over the uh over the side there and then the water churning up behind just turns red and the little girl screams and the horn on the boat blasts for some reason and I can imagine that uh, Rachel ends up spending several hours with the local police on the island. I don't know, because somehow she just seems to get away with this. What has transpired without having to deal with anything. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But holy crap, the horse bit is rough. It's um, rough. Oh, but very memorable, too. It's... Uh, Ugh. And this is where we get Noah uh, getting to the hospital and he asks the people to see Anna Marga's records and they're like, no, you're not a family member. This is a mental health facility. The fuck are you thinking? And he's like, well, I just want to get up there to take a look. And of course, the dumbass attendants like, oh, nice try, buddy. And the records rooms downstairs. Mm -hmm. okay, this is a little cheese right here, but. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we just cut to outside where, you know, Noah's got this pry bar and he's just breaking through this door and he's like, yeah, what does he say? Uh, nice try jerk off or something like that. And, and he breaks in and starts looking around. Um, and I think from there, uh, we cut to the establishing shot of the Island, uh, kind of like a helicopter shot going over the lighthouse and everything. And again the cool music box portion of the score playing and um yeah uh rachel gets dropped off uh at the morgan farm and uh she walks up to the door doesn't get a response but she finds um mr morgan played by brian cox working on a fence outside and they talk a little bit and she just kind of lets him assume that she's there to ask about the horses uh, and what happened to them all those years ago. Mm -hmm. And he takes her inside, but it, it becomes very clear to him very quickly that she's not there to talk about the horses. Mm -hmm. And she starts asking more about his wife. Uh, we see the mirror that uh, is in the other room because basically everything that's in this video does in the videotape does get a call back in the real world uh, mm -hmm. because they're, they're all things that uh, Samara would have seen at one time or another. Um, and 
Yeah. Um, she thinks that this is a message from Anna Morgan and he is very clearly aware of what the videotape is. And he just wants her to get out at this point. And, uh, this is where she asks him about his daughter as she's being shown out. And he just says, I don't have a daughter. Um, steps outside. Uh, she turns around and looks at the house and we get the flash of, uh, Mr. Morgan standing at the window from the video as it lines up perfectly with the outside of the house. And then she realizes that the drawing that Aiden had given her, uh, yeah, that Aiden had given her is this house. Uh And she sees the, um, you know, the, the, the images on the drawing of, of course, the Morgans and their little girl. Uh Um, and yeah, uh, let's see here. Uh, we've got Noah going through Anna's medical history at this point, which also has Samara's files with it for some reason. I'm not too. Yeah, that's a little weird. And this is where we're introduced to these, um, images that had somehow been projected. Uh Um, and they're, you know, future spoilers here, but they're all images from her little bedroom. Um, basically all the things that she would be able to see from that horrible little space. Um, and yeah, uh, in the medical history, it's very clear that, um, that, uh, she had miscarried over and over and over and, uh, yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, Interesting. Oh. um, sorry to interrupt you, but no, 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 no. it's funny because the, the photos are in a file that talks about projected thermography. And yes. I actually I Googled what that is. And it's actually psychic photography. So again, it's like a psychic thought burned onto something physical. Um, so I think it's just, again, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting in what that is. But then also later when we get... Um, audio from the doctor who's talking to Samara about, we need to figure out what's wrong with you. He says, right. And yeah, that's all very interesting. This is also where Noah starts getting his first nosebleed. Uh, Uh, it's, I I find it interesting that everybody starts to get a bloody nose about the same number of days into the process. Uh It all, uh, um, yeah, yeah, it all lines up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, he also finds in addition to those projected images, um, uh, notes about a video that's stored elsewhere. Uh-huh. Uh, and let's see here, cut to Aiden at his aunt's house, obsessively drawing the well. Um, and oof, it is dark and creepy. Um, he, uh, gets a phone call from his mom and she's asking about the house and his drawing um, and he says that, uh, nobody told me about it. It's the little girl. She showed me, uh, and then he mentions how, uh, she doesn't like it in the barn. The horses keep her up at night. And she asks, well, is that where she is now? And he's like, no, she's in the dark place now. Okay. You can read that several ways. Um, This is where Rachel goes then to speak with the local doctor about the Morgans and their daughter. I love that the doctor just volunteers a lot of information that she probably shouldn't as a doctor, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, small town, small Island. Um, 
also given everything that transpired on the island um i i can see this playing out in this film the way it does sure um the morgans couldn't conceive she says but uh they went away one winter and came back with an adopted daughter and they never said adopted from where um now did i see like certificate of live birth later in this film and so actually maybe not adopted somehow she did have this baby i don't know um so you still get a birth certificate if you adopt i guess yeah okay that makes more sense okay um so who knows where this kid came from but um probably nowhere good um but yeah uh what else does this doctor have to say? Uh, she's. Yeah. She talked about her son who clearly has some, you know, is differently abled and yep. she kind of, you know, implies that, you know, Samara had, she just wasn't normal. She had some challenges. Yeah. Um, yeah. And eventually how uh, Anna came to the doctor about the images being seared into her mind by her child. Exactly. Uh, and she was the one that ended up referring them to the uh, psychiatric facility on the mainland. And when they left, they never saw the little girl again and they were better for it. Uh -huh. Um, because apparently there was a lot of misery on this Island, uh, while that little girl was around, uh -huh. um, and Rachel presses, um, but you know, yeah, the doctor's like, Hey, I said what I said. Um, and we move on from there. Uh, we've got, uh, Noah going after the videotape. Uh, this is a fun exchange between him and, uh, the orderly who manages this, uh, records room, uh, uh -huh. because, uh, Noah's trying to play himself off as being Richard Morgan. And this tape would have been from 1979. So, you know, like, um, basically 23, 23 years on at this point when this movie came out, um, and, uh, the, the guy's like, Hey, what is your secret? And he's like, Oh, diet and exercise. <laughs> the guy's like, Hey, I know what's going on here. You try to walk out with this video and you know, it's your ass and, uh, they, they go and they find it. But of course the case is empty and it's like, does it say who last, uh, signed it out? And the guy's like, yeah, it was you cut to the little card and it does say Richard Morgan. Um, well, crap. Uh, then we go to Noah. He's clearly on the ferry trying to get to the Island. He's trying to call Rachel, but there's no cell service there. So he can't get through to her. Uh, Rachel's back at the Morgan house and she just walks right in. You know, she does call out for Mr. Morgan, but yeah, she just walks right into this place. And, uh, she ends up finding the missing tape and pops into the VCR, uh, after getting scared by this, uh, nasty, nasty, uh, centipede that, uh, was of course in the video. Mm -hmm. Um, and she also finds the record of Samara's birth and treatment in this box and in the video, which of course she plays on the TV in the house that she should not be in. Um, yeah. Um, we, uh, get a video of Samara just not sleeping and it's like time-lapse video of her just walking around her room, staring at the clock throughout the night. Um, and then in interviews with Samara about, you know, what she's done, uh, how it's hurting her mother, how, you know, she's, you know, 
sorry, but not sorry. Kind of it's, um, and, uh, the, the line from the doctor about, uh, you know, we got to figure out what's wrong with you and, uh, you know, how ultimately she knows that her dad doesn't love her and he loves the horses. She said, um, which is probably why, uh, she ended up spooking them as much as she did to basically make them kill themselves. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, cut to the video cutting out because, uh, we've got Mr. Morgan showing up and clocking Rachel and grabbing the TV and just ripping it out and carrying it upstairs. She kind of stumbles after him there. And uh, he has rigged himself a little death trap in the bathroom. Um, he's got the tub filled with water and just about every small appliance he could grab in the house so that he can stand in the water and flip the switch on a power strip and fry himself. Uh, she's pleading with him for help and making this stop, but he knows there's nothing to be done. There is no stopping this. He just wants to be done with things for himself at this point. And, um, yeah, he flips the switch and it's, it's gross. Um, and she nearly fries herself standing in that water. Um, but, uh, she gets away and he fries, she screams and Noah just shows up out of the blue and grabs her. Um, it's, it's weird. Um, but you know, it's probably a good thing he's there because she's about to lose it. Um, and this is where she remembers the thing about Samara not liking the barn and they head out there, break in the door and they find a child's room in the hayloft, uh, with the big, tall, long ladder leading up to it. And, uh, yeah, basically everything we've been seeing in those, uh, thermography images and, uh, things in the video and so on are all like objects that are in this little room up there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we've even got a music box playing the little lullaby that Samara sings. Um, and this is where they find behind the peeling wallpaper, an image of this maple on fire, basically burned into the, into the boards. Mm-hmm. And Rachel realizes that she's seen this tree before, mm-hmm. not in the video though, but at shelter mountain. And now it's Wednesday, day seven. And we've got the establishing shots of them driving out there. And of course the score kicks in because it's awesome and we need to keep that happening. Uh And, uh, they make it to the end, which apparently is closed for some reason. Uh I don't know if it's just like part of the season where they shut down or something like that. It's the Pacific Northwest. It's fairly temperate. I don't think you need to close down for the winter, but, uh, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, they, they make it to cabin 12 and they go inside and, you know, she's a little despondent because, you know, here they are full circle. They're back to where she started and they haven't made any real headway. And he doesn't want to give up because, you know, he doesn't want her to die. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want their son to die. Um, and he starts raging a little bit as far as, um, you know, we, we, there's something in the phone. He rips it off the wall and he, as he's thrashing around, he knocks over this vase that has, you know, a bunch of marbles in it and they all kind of roll around the floor. And of course they collect in the middle because the floor is sagging mm-hmm. and they both stare at this and they're like, what? And they pull back the rug and they find this big ring of water damage. 
Um, it's so funny how many times throughout this film you see all these uh, circular patterns. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. If, you know, not just the ring collecting there, not the ring itself, but you get coffee rings and all these other things everywhere. Um, and I love it. Um, but yeah, uh, he runs outside and grabs a fire axe and then goes all Jack Torrance on the floor. Uh, and that's where they find the covered well beneath. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, they go to push off the lid and I mean, sunsets right around the corner and it was just after five when she played that tape to begin with. And as they're shining their flashlights down the well and looking around, the TV starts flickering to life and water starts flowing from underneath it. And you see all the fasteners from the floorboards start lifting themselves out and, uh, you know, the big bolts going through the joists under the floor and everything just of their own accord, of course. Mm -hmm. And Noah's like, well, should we drop something? You know, trying to figure out how far down it goes. And of course she drops a stone down there. It's like, what is that? And all these flies just burst out and you know they're all flailing around and everything and it's right at this moment where the floor collapses into this ramp and the tv with a burst of static on it flies down and smashes into her and knocks her into the well and uh yeah yeah she uh she takes a tumble there and noah calls after her and uh she kind of wakes up with her face in the water thank god she wakes up um and calls back to him that she's okay. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to find her a rope or something. Cause we got to get you out of there. And, um, this is where she starts looking around the well with her flashlight, which thankfully fell down there with her. And she sees all the scratches and claw marks in the stone and they're bloody and there are fingernails. Yes. Everywhere. And of course she picks one out and looks at it because of course she has to, that's gross. Um, and we've got Noah outside. He finds a fire hose and decides, hey, that'll be perfect to use as a rope. And we get the comedic bit of him running that thing towards the cabin. And of course, it hits the end of the line. It rips his feet out from under him. Um, and as all this is happening, uh, the lid is sliding closed over the well of its own accord. And um, he realizes it's sunset and he kind of screams at the setting sun and down in the water, Samara kind of reaches out of the water and grabs Rachel's arm and we get another vision. And this time it's of her death. Um, she's standing at that well, kind of, uh, you know, sing songing her little lullaby from her room. And, uh, her mother steps up behind her talking about how beautiful the place is. And next thing you know, she's got a trash bag over the girl's face and it's pretty horrific. We get a, all I ever wanted was you right before she throws her down the well. That's heartbreaking. Oh God. Um, <laughs> heartbreaking. I mean, 
I understand that her mother is absolutely broken at this point. She's uh, spent some time in psychiatric care. She's um, had to deal with everything that her daughter is feeding her mind. Um, but also, uh, you're killing your kid. That's wow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, cut back to uh, Rachel in the well and the, the burn mark fades away from her arm. And uh, this is where she realizes that Samara was alive in the well down there. And we've got the little girl's body floating back to the surface. And she looks just like she was when she fell down there. And she sort of cradles her and the body just sort of decays before her eyes into a corpse. And uh, we hear Noah from up above, you know, that it's past sunset and she realizes that she's still alive. Um, so one way or another, they get her out of there and we cut to, you know, it's, it's evening and the police and fire department are there and it's, it's over, right? We've got something of a resolution. Um, you know, the, the typical shot of the, the, the couple there, uh, she's got a blanket over her and, you know, she's just kind of musing about, um, you know, Anna killing Samara, how she just can't really get over it. It's, you know, she's a mother herself and it's horrific to her and it's horrific to most people, but of course she's got a, you know, fairly strong connection to all of this and, um, you know, Noah comforts her. And he just kind of wonders aloud how long you could survive alive in that well. And, uh, yeah, seven days. It all again, comes full circle uh-huh. and, uh, I kind of fade away from uh, shelter mountain and cut to, uh, Rachel. We, we we're, we're back at Ruth's house. And Aiden is passed out in his PJs on the floor in the most like dead body pose ever. Well, and, and Rachel, Rachel thinks she's solved the problem because she like is able to, you know, they're able to bury Samara's remains and, you know. Yeah, they her- make a comment about how they're going to bury the, uh, right. the body in about a week or whatever. The rest, right? Yeah, they've so got some I've resolution. Saved I've saved her. I've solved the problem. I've solved yep. Solve the crime. It, it's so weird how this little kid is laid out on the floor, though. And she just kind of scoops him up, and uh, you know, next thing you know, he's waking up in the back seat, and he sees his parents smiling at each other, and they hold hands, and he kind of drifts off again. And uh, uh, after she tucks Aiden in, she sees Noah out, and um, there's a very sweet exchange between the two of them, you know, about how. You know, he, he would like to see her again and how, you know, he kind of wants to be in their lives again. And it's, it's, it's pretty touching. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, she goes to wash off the filth of the day from there and it's just black running down the drain. Um, and of course, again, the circular motion, the, yeah, the more rings, um, but yeah, we, uh, we go to the next day and Aiden's waking up, uh, to his mom holding him and, you know, they kind of sleepily, uh, talk to each other there and, you know, she tells him that it's over and they set Samara free. This is where he bolts upright and his eyes are just as big as they possibly can be. He's like, you weren't supposed to do that. You weren't supposed to help her. Um, 
It's like, well, you could have told us that, kid. God. Um, but ultimately, yeah, uh, she notices that there's the mark on his arm still, and this is where his nose starts bleeding like a fire hose. Um, and we go right from there to Noah's loft, where uh, he is looking through some uh, some photos on a project, and in the background, his TV pops on. And he's got his little uh, roller chair that he's in. And he just kind of slides out to get a better view. And um, he uh, uh, he uh, steps up and uh, walks up to the, it's kind of like a little bit of an elevated platform where he's got his TV and like a couch and a, another swivel chair. I, I like that chair. It's really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, he grabs the remote and uh, turns off the TV. And of course it pops back on and it's the image of the well with the, you know, the sound from the video playing. And, um, we've got, uh, Rachel jamming all the Kleenex that she can into, uh, Aiden's face. And, uh, she's, uh, calling Noah and she realizes, okay, she's just got to go over there. Um, and we're, back then to uh noah's loft and uh we've got the shot of the back of the tv and water is pouring off the sides of the tv and this is where samara has been slowly walking towards the screen and um she starts to emerge and uh Rachel nearly kills all of Seattle driving uh, to the loft at this point. She's like going down one way streets and everything else. It's uh, she's got her cell phone uh, and he's just not picking up. And you've got the rising tension of the two planes of action, but also you've got, um, you know, the, 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 the little screeing sound of the soundscape of the video playing and you've got Samara coming out of the TV and you've got the phone ringing in the background. It's this perfect mix of tension. Um, it's very, very good. Um, and, uh, yeah, she fully makes her way out of the TV and, uh, starts to stand up and then does this shift where she just bolts forward and uh, of course scares him backwards off of this platform because of course it's elevated right through this uh rack storage that has like all the glassware in the entire uh place uh he crashes through that and rolls off and of course he's got to crawl through broken glass trying to get away from her um and uh yeah it finally he uh gets far enough away that he looks back and she just stands there and finally looks up through the hair that hangs over her face that I don't think we've really brought up yet uh, in this conversation, but this is where the hair sort of parts and you see her eye and she glares at him and we get his face as of course he um, expires. And uh, this is, yeah, where uh, Rachel pulls up outside Um and uh races into the home and the music is pounding and she's got her phone still calling him and she can't wait for the the elevator because it's going to take forever to come down so she races up the stairwell and bursts into his place and the phone's still ringing in the background and you hear it through her phone as well and she finally hangs up and she can see him from behind sitting in this chair 
and there's a pool of water all around it. Um, and she approaches and swivels the chair around. And of course we don't get to see, but we hear her scream and see her reaction uh -huh. and, uh, yeah, steps out into the stairwell. Uh, just totally in shock. And she looks down the stairwell and sees the assistant at the elevator. And she just kind of makes herself as small as possible and works her way into a corner as the assistant goes up and just kind of scoots on out of there. Um, that's going to be a super fun shock for the assistant. Um, also she looks down, she still has one of the bloody, bloody tissues from Aiden in her hand. And she realizes, crap, she's got to get home. She bursts into that apartment and screams at him to go to his room. And his eyes get so big when she does that. And they kind of go their separate ways. And she almost runs over him as he's running. Um, and she grabs the videotape and smashes it to the floor, just screaming about, you know, what am I supposed to do? You know, and uh, she ends up throwing it under the gas log and torching it. And, you know, she's wondering aloud, you know, what did she do differently? Mm -hmm. And this is where we get sort of a montage of, you know, snippets throughout the film, um, you know, explaining you know, who Samara was, what she was doing, what was done to her. And, uh, I think, uh, even Brian Cox topic talking about, um, journalists at the time and how they kind of help bring up everybody's misery and kind of keep sending it out into the world, except that is exactly what Samara is doing. She's sort of broadcasting her misery out into the world. And then, uh, Rachel realizes, she made a copy. She helped spread it. This is what saved her ultimately. Mm -hmm. uh, and we cut to her with Aiden at her work and she's helping him pop tapes in so that they can make a copy. And, um, you know, he wonders aloud, you know, what's going to happen to whoever they show it to. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a deleted scene Mm -hmm. of uh, them showing it to the babysitter or something like that, or at least implying that they're going to be showing it to the babysitter, which is horrible. What did she ever do? But uh, yeah, uh, we, well, we in the Japanese movie. She was going to show it to her father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, in, in the Japanese version too, it just kind of ends with her driving off to go save the day and storm clouds in the distance, which is kind of a cool ending. But uh, yeah, we, we cut from his question to the ring itself and static. And then the stinger of images from the tape okay. before we get to credits with the amazing score. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can't remember if there's any, sound or anything at the end of the credits but uh I, I don't think there is i know there's no like post credits thing itself but uh but yeah oh, what a banger of a film um and it really i i was so impressed with all of the details that they ticked and tied together it was they wrapped a bow around it at the end it was really wonderful. oh yeah 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 um God, is there anything that we didn't talk about with this film that's on your mind? Because I know, you know, like me, you, you watched this film probably a couple of times this week, as well as Ringu. And uh, 
yeah, just. I mean, all I can say is the score. I know you, I know you've, I know you've called it out, but it's just, you know, there, there's like this interplay between deep strings and then like lonely, sad piano keys, you know, with mm-hmm. this sort of like sweet, innocent sort of sad, melancholy vibe. Um, and you like have the tension between the two for the whole film. So it really sort of play, like plays okay. on that sort of dichotomy for Samara, right? Like she's this cute little kid turned quite evil. Um, yeah. So the score kind of just underlines all of that. Yep. Yep. It's such a fun back and forth. And, uh, yeah, it's honestly one of the great horror scores that I don't hear people talk about enough, honestly. So dramatic. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and I also get it. It's a 20 year old film at this point. I think maybe we'll get to this point. Like, you know, a lot of the films from the seventies and eighties that people started gaining more respect for in the nineties and the aughts. Right. Uh, we'll get to a point with a film like this, even though it is a remake, um, you know, it, we're going to have plenty of people talking about this for, you know, time to come. It's uh very, very strong performances out of the cast. I don't think you could have found a more perfect fit for this kid. Um, sure. if, what's, I can't remember the actor. Either of them, sure. right? The boy oh, yeah. or, or Samara or the girl. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Divide Chase. Uh, she's gone on to do some other things. She was in the sequel to Donnie Darko, which is not good. It's not good. But, uh, you know, she's done plenty of other stuff. And Naomi Watts is really good in this, too. It's, uh, I mean, shout out to the lady who plays, you know, the main character in the original. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, we talked about Sonata as uh, her counterpart there. Yeah. Um they're great. They're fantastic. Yeah. But the casting in this is so good. And Brian Cox is the father. You know, he's Brian Cox doing a Brian Cox role, but it is kind of perfect as well. Yeah, uh, I, I I wish we had gotten just the tiniest bit more of Anna Morgan and what she was going through. But uh, like we talked about with uh, the dreamlike nature of this film, I think that does help to kind of, you know, keep it fairly open to interpretation and fairly open as far as your imagination goes, as far as what actually transpired with everything on that Island. Um, you know, I, I know there's, you know, a couple of American sequels. I never saw the, the third one. Um, yeah, I did not hear good things. And the second one, while it's fun, it just pales in comparison to, uh, the original here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this is, um, it's a gem. I can't believe that it's 21 years old. I know we, uh, we are all, uh, we are all advancing in age, uh, faster than I would like, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the fun thing about that is, you know, movies continue to come out that are fantastic and we will look back in time as great classics, you know, just this uh, past couple of weeks, that Australian horror film talked to me. It is so good. Y- you got to check this out when you get a moment. Uh, that's one that will be talked about years down the road for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, Kate, thank you for coming on. Uh, I, I, again, 
I can't imagine a better person to talk about this film with. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, uh, we had talked about potentially doing uh, Saw at some point because I know how much you love those films as well, particularly the first one. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun one. And I think a lot less torture porny than the rest of the sequels tend to Agreed. become. Um, it's that is it not my favorite subgenre. Thriller. Yeah, it was yeah. a mind thriller as it was like the grandfather to torture porn. So yeah, yeah. So uh, ultimately, that would be a fun one to do. We'll have to see what we can do about making that happen. Um, I love it. Yeah. If you'd like, where could people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. My. Uh, okay. <laughs> my uh instagram name is see the stars backwards there we go and I'll, I'll go ahead and drop that in the notes on the video but uh but yeah thanks again for being on um thanks for having me it was great yeah. to see you well good to see you as well and uh well this has been murders with mertens a horror film podcast thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes please like share and subscribe if you are so inclined i'll be back soon enough with another episode but until next time stay spoopy everyone